Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. founded and directs the Shalom Center, founded in 1983, a prophetic voice in Jewish, multi-religious, and American life that brings Jewish and other spiritual thought and practice to bear on seeking peace, pursuing justice, healing the earth, and celebrating community. He edits and writes for its weekly online Shalom Report. He's been incredibly involved in activism for decades, and even today, uh, showing bold, courageous leadership. Rabbi Waska, thank you for taking time to talk. Well, thank you. Let so, me just uh, add, by the way, there's our website is theshalomcenter.org. With right. that T-H-E, the, in the beginning, is important. Theshalomcenter.org. Theshalomcenter.org. Wonderful. So to jump right in, what, have been, what has been some of the Torah, some of the Jewish sources that have continuously inspired the work you do? Huh. Well, right now, the work, and for the last eight or nine years, actually, the Shalom Center and I have been focusing mostly, not exclusively, but mostly on the climate crisis. And there, uh, the more I delve into the Tanakh, the more I see how profound the thread of caring between Adam and Adama, between, you might say, earth and human earthlings. The only way you can do that uh, pun in uh, Hebrew of Adam and Adama, it's not just a pun, it's deliberate, is, is earth and earthling, even though earthling is a sort of woo-woo word in English. But that gets it across. The word environment really drives me a little crazy in English because the environment means it's out there somewhere in the environs, whereas Adam Adama means it's like this, it's intertwined, which is the reality. So the words are really echoing and, and pointing to the reality. So what I find when I begin looking at the Tanakh that way, and I think it is the Tanakh that bears that most strongly, rabbinic Judaism, because it got, against its will, severed, not only from the land of Israel, but from every land where people got thrown out. So they didn't make an emotional or a political policy connection with land. But of course, our great, 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 great forebears did. Uh, they were shepherds and farmers on the earth, with the earth, and they realized there needed to be a sacred relationship if that sacredness was going to be uh, there with the, the Holy One, it had to be there with the land. So I begin with um, 
an examination of what seems to me is going on in the story of God Eden, the Garden of Eden, where it seems to me the divine voice speaking on behalf of reality says, there's incredible abundance here. Joyfully eat of it. A little self-restraint. Just one tree. Don't gobble up the whole abundance. And the human race can't or doesn't restrain itself, does gobble up the whole abundance. As a result, the abundance vanishes. So human beings have to work, as the Torah says, with the sweat pouring down their faces because the earth gives forth mostly thorns and thistles. So I see this as a parable of warning. Farmers and shepherds knew you can't gobble up the whole abundance. If you let your sheep eat from the meadow over and over and over and over again, the meadow dies, the sheep die, and the shepherd dies. Farmers found out the same thing, might have been quicker with sheep. But the whole notion that emerged of the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year, let the land alone so it can recover its fruitfulness uh, was a, a, a celebration of the interbreathing spirit of all life, which is one way of seeing the divine, seeing God. I see the yud as a breath and the breathing. The, if you try to pronounce it with no vowels, right, you don't end up pronouncing anything. What happens is, for me, you just, you just breathe. So I think it's not that the rule is you're not allowed to pronounce it. There's no way to pronounce it unless you think breathing is pronouncing. But that's a very profound way of seeing God in the world. That it's, And in fact, we know now, I think they understood it at some level, but now we know it scientifically in detail. That what keeps life going on this planet is the interbreathing of CO2 and oxygen. That we breathe in what the trees and grasses breathe out. They breathe in what we and all the animals on the planet breathe out. And that's what keeps it all going. And in fact, that's what's now in danger. Because human recent human civilization, and especially several major, corp, very rich corporations, I figured out how to pour more CO2 into the planet, the atmosphere, than all the vegetation on the planet can transmute into oxygen. So we get the heating of the planet. And I think of now, I think of what we call the climate crisis as a crisis in God's name, yeah. the interbreathing name. So to pick up on that point, it's beautiful, Torah. Once we embrace the oneness of God, the oneness of reality, the oneness of our breath, the interconnectivity of existence, why do we still need particularism, right? What is the role of Judaism as a particularistic faith, as a particularistic process in an era where the universal is so powerful? But the universal, that's what ecology teaches. Each species is is absolutely particular. And it wouldn't work. The whole, the echad, the one, wouldn't work if each species were not absolutely particular. And it's necessary to fit together. When one of my grandchildren 
was only eight years old, which is now 10 years ago. Um, we went out to visit, they lived outside Chicago. You know that, right? So uh, I said to Yoni, uh, who was eight years old then, and we happened to visit on the weekend of Shabbat Reshit, the story of the creation. And I said to Yoni, um, so the Torah says God created human beings in God's image. What do you think that means? She said, hmm, what's an image? I said, well, like a photograph. She said, like a photograph? That's really strange. God is invisible. How could there be a photograph of God? I didn't say a word in the rest of the conversation. I just listened. And Yoni sat there for a bit and thought, and she said, well, could be the other way around. God could be in the image of human beings. And she sat and thought for a while more. And she said, or I should say, maybe they said, uh, but we're all different from each other. And it couldn't be just one of us that would be for making the image of God. So how could that be? And then you know, he sat for another couple of minutes and then her face lit up and Yoni said, maybe we're all different from each other the way the pieces in my jigsaw puzzle are different from each other. And you've got to fit us together. If you fit us together, we're a community and a community is more like God. Mm. So that's a deep understanding. I mean, it's ecology, it's a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, now I understand that a jigsaw puzzle is a game to teach ecology, right? It's crucial for all the pieces to be different. And it's crucial for them to fit together into a whole. Beautiful. So I think the particular is absolutely important as a part of the whole. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. So as, as someone who's been an activist for half a century, oh, what an honor to be talking to someone like that. You know, how have you seen Jewish activism uh, evolve in terms of its goals, its tactics, its approach? And similarly, what are some positive trends right now and what are some more negative trends and what or Jewish organizing looks like? The most interesting change for me anyway is that it's now more and more that people in the Jewish community who want to heal the world, and there are more and more of them. I mean, 50 years ago, we were a tiny, tiny bunch of people. Now there are many more. Are doing it more and more by using the practices, the tools, the symbols, and the festivals of the tradition. So 50 years ago, we did the Freedom Seder. And the Seder, in its depth, became a political action, as well as a spiritual uh, practice. Just 10 days ago, thousands of people in the Jewish community all over the United States used Tisha B'Av as the framework for challenging the government's behavior toward immigrants and refugees. That would never have occurred to anybody 50 years ago. 
were 20 years ago, to tell the truth. Well, there were a few of us. We did, in 1972, about 40 Jews did Tishomov on the steps of the U.S. Capitol, saying that the way the Romans had uh, sown salt into the farms of the land of Israel to stop agriculture, the United States was doing that to Vietnam with Agent Orange on the trees. And nine years ago, this summer, just about right now, actually, we did Tishomov on the steps of the Capitol again, right after the BP oil spill. And we said, Temple Earth is in danger. We need to grieve and mourn the wounds of Temple Earth to prevent it being destroyed by modern Caesars, modern pharaohs. So there was a, but that was, that was a little bigger. There were about 300 people. But that was it. This year, thousands of people used Tishabov that way. That's new. You asked about the upside and the downside. It's interesting to me, one of the most wonderful aspects of the Jewish evolving in the United States has been this emphasis, growing, growing emphasis on tikkun olam. And the tikkun has been addressed almost entirely to social justice. And I underline the word social. So the refugees, race, civil rights, the dignity of women, etc. Meanwhile, the earth is burning. And very few Jewish organizations see this as even on the list, let alone high priority. Um, and I think the reason is both laudable and a problem. I think the reason is for 2,000 years when we didn't have direct connection that we could trust was going to continue with any piece of earth, um, we turned to society. First, we turned to making sure the Jewish community was a decent community. And then, with the emancipation of the Jews of Europe and America, we took that into the larger world, social justice in the larger world. And it still has not really soaked in that in our generation, social justice and the earth cannot be separated. I've been, I was struck the other day with what I'm going to, I think, start using as a slogan. No earth, no justice. No justice, no earth. Because the protection of the earth is also an issue of justice. Injustice from the top. Huge corporations, incredibly wealthy, insisting on burning up the earth to increase their profit. At the bottom, the people who suffer the first, though they serve, and maybe the worst for a while, but certainly it's going to get the rest of the planet as well, are the poorest, the blackest, the brownest, uh, and because they are the most vulnerable to the, um, to the effects of what I usually call global fortune, not global warming. Yeah. So it is, so I've been saying we have to talk about eco-social justice. Mm -hmm. Just like Adama and Adam 
The yes. two are intertwined. Right. And that, I find, is the biggest problem. And I can see that it emerges from really decent commitment to social justice. Right, right. I wonder if part of the fear is that some feel on other issues, they don't have to change anything in their life because you know it's outside of me. Whereas here, I'm a little afraid of having to change um, you know, how much meat I eat or what kind of car I drive or my disposables or, or the like. It kind of comes closer to home. Right, it, that's true. Yeah. That is true and that may be part of the reason. But let me point out, it seems to me that's analogous to the situation of cigarette smokers facing big tobacco. So it was clear big tobacco was addicting people, poisoning people, and killing people. And many of us were killing ourselves by smoking the tobacco. But it turned out we could mobilize even people who smoked and who realized it was hurting them. Right. Right. They could mobilize to say, okay, there have to be regulations on yeah. the tobacco. If they were the drug, we, 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 many of us, were the addicts, they were the drug lords. Right. right. And here, it's true that we're oilaholics, right, and addicted to it, and there are drug lords. And we need to get together and say, okay, it's the system that has to change. We, and. I can change my life piece by piece if we change. So mass transit, walking, bicycles, uh, elect, uh, uh, solarization, neighborhood solarization. Farming? Yeah, right, right, exactly. So we can make those changes. One of the ones that is not hard to make actually saves people money and not only heals the earth, but heals many neighborhoods, which are now um, flooded with asthma attacks because of coal dust and oil fumes, uh, is the neighborhood solarization. Not one house alone, but people getting together in solar uh, energy co-ops. So what you can do if you do that and that's one of the things I think really important for people to do. You can, first of all, you save yourself money because if you're using solar energy, the electric bill drops radically. Secondly, you save your neighbors from being poisoned with asthma. Third, you can begin to make a real neighborhood where people get together, just as people have done with food co-ops. You can get together with solar co-ops and you share with each other. I've been recommending we help the Shalom Center help form, help found a solar co-op here in Northwest Philadelphia. I've been urging that people get together once a month to make a kind of Shabbos, to celebrate, to sing, uh, to uh, schmooze, to eat together, uh, so that it doesn't become painful to shift over to the solar uh, economy, it becomes joyful. The the story that I think is the teaching of how to heal the the state of Eden, of the Garden of Eden, is the story of manna and Shabbat. 
So once again, with the, I think also it's a parable, uh, a teaching parable. So once again, this parable says the universe is filled with abundance. I mean, you hardly have to do anything to get this mana. And you have to restrain yourself. But this time, the restraint is not giving up something delightful. It's getting something delightful. It's getting Shabbat. The first time, I think, Kaaba, Eve, said, this tree, it smells wonderful. It looks wonderful. I'm sure it tastes wonderful. I'm not going to keep from eating it. It's gorgeous. But the, and that's, I think, why she ate and why Adam ate as well. But with the mana, self-restraint meant, hey, we have Shabbos. Beautiful. I think that made enormous difference. Yeah, and I think that's what we need to do in order to make the change. We have to see it not as grumpy. Oh, you want me to give up my automobile. But, oh, we're going to make a new community out of getting together with each other to use solar and wind energy. Beautiful. Rabbi Wasco, my, my, my last question for you. You know, a lot of folks, they might hit 60 or 65 years old and say, you know what? I'm going to relax. I'm going to retire and hang out. You know, maybe 70. Okay, now I'll relax a little bit. You know, I wonder, like, what keeps you fired up? Like, what, what, what inspires you to, you know, keep going to fight for change? I love Torah. I love life. <laughs> the Torah teaches how to preserve life on the planet, I think. So those two loves of mine come together. Yeah. I love my grandchildren. They are going to grow up into a world that is either an ugly mess yeah. or into a world where we have learned how to share the abundance in a way that makes it sustainable. Yeah. So those three ways of loving all come together. So, and when I do what I'm doing, I don't feel like I'm, you know, scrunching myself, wearing myself out, something like that. I love a community of people who get together and say, we are going to sit down at this bank that is lending money to burn the world. Yeah. Yeah. And afterward, sit down. And after we get out of jail, we turn to each other and say, let's sing. That, for me, that's good life. I don't feel like I need to, quote, retire from that. A, a, a love of Torah, a love of life, a love of your grandchildren, and a love as the process, a love in the enjoyment of getting there. Uh, a real inspiration, Rabbi Wasco. You should have many more decades of success. And Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.